Taillights Podcast listeners, you're in for a real treat. This is part one of my interview with Coach Bob Ledbetter, retired athletic director, head football coach at South Lake Carroll. Coach Ledbetter led the Dragons to the first three state titles in football program history in 1988, 1992, and 1993. The most interesting thing about it, in nearly two hours of talking, he barely even talks football. This is because he's about all sports and he's about all kids. I apologize that the audio in this episode is not as high quality as you are all used to. But the good news is that Joe Rogan and Chelsea Handler still have their podcast going, and the sound quality is great. So if the speakerphone on my flip phone and the speakerphone on Coach Ledbetter's landline doesn't work for you, you don't have to learn today. You can go right on back to your usual programming. Otherwise, enjoy and get over it. Sorry for the snoring at times in the background, but old Millie Dog gets worn out walking from her bed to the patio. Let's sit down with Coach Ledbetter. Thanks for tuning in to the Tail Lights Podcast. I'm Eric Torvalin, and today I'm joined here by Coach Bob Ledbetter. Coach Ledbetter, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Eric. It's great to be on. Yes, sir. Coach, you mind telling our guests a little bit about where you grew up and what your parents did? <laughs> yeah. I don't know that I ever grew up. Uh, well, the good news is, Coach, is that the internet wasn't really around back during that time, so nobody will be able to fact check you. Well, cars or airplanes or <laughs> keep going, you know, horses and buggies and, you know, uh, there's a lot of us. Uh, yes, sir. I grew sir. up in Oklahoma and, and uh, had a place called Ardmore, Oklahoma, and went to college up at... Um, Southeastern State University up at Durant, Oklahoma, and uh, had a great, you know, experience up there, a great career. Met Sue up there, and you know, and uh, basically knew that we, you know, were going to come to Texas, and uh, that's where this is where we wanted to come, and we wanted to coach and teach, and uh, it's worked out really well for us from that standpoint. Nice, nice. So both your parents were educators. No, honestly, Eric, to be honest with you, my parents were, uh, my, uh, my dad was a truck driver, and actually he was a people that adopted me, and uh, I grew up as an only child and never really knew my real parents or my real brothers and sisters and things like that was brought up, and, uh, but that's neither here nor there. My yeah. dad drove a truck, and neither one of them had a high school education, and uh, it was a you know, great people, uh, very thankful for them and uh, what they did for me. And, you know, there's a lot of story there, but that's not what we're into this about. Uh, yes, sir. Okay. Well, um, so uh, where did you go to college? Went to Southeastern State University uh, in Durant, Oklahoma. Okay. And uh, any, uh, any key influences there that pushed you towards the world of education, or did you know long before that that you wanted to go into education? You know, Eric, I think that's what I wanted to go into. I know it's what I wanted to go into, and I wanted to, uh, I, had a, I had a passion even back then for kids, and, and, and I really wanted to do what I could do for kids and teach kids that they could be anything they wanted to be as long as they believed in themselves and didn't listen to other people. And I, I always felt like that uh, 
coaching was an avenue which would provide me with those kind of opportunities to be able to take ordinary kids and uh, kids that had a dream and a hope and, and, and go along with those kids and, and make them realize that, uh, you know, that uh, they can do the things that they really want to do and, and help kids and, and uh, try to provide them with the opportunity to be successful, not only uh, in athletics, but later on in life. And that uh, athletics is an avenue for us as coaches to not only develop kids as far as their athleticism and things like that, but uh, to uh, teach kids all the things that they learn in athletics and come out of that and be better husbands and better fathers. And and uh, I think those are the most important goals. It's not about all the state championships and the wins and all the accolades and all those things like that. And uh, that's what we are so proud of. Right, yes, sir. So, uh, where do you end up doing your student teaching? You know, Eric, I don't even remember. Uh, I'm sure it was in a school. Yeah. Uh, in Oklahoma, it might not have been. I'm just saying that. But uh, it was, uh, you know, I don't even remember where I did my student teaching, to be honest with you. It was there in Durant uh, at the junior high. And, uh, I wanted to go into junior high because I think it's very important that all coaches experience the junior high level. A lot of coaches nowadays want to start at the varsity level. A lot of coaches want to start as a coordinator and things like that. I think the most important thing is for young coaches to come up through the ranks. And, and I would make our – always here at Southlake, I'd put my best coaches in the junior high. And by that I mean the kids, the coaches that had the most experience and the coaches that I felt like would be the most with developing kids because that's the most important place. And Southlake, our program is because of our junior high programs that have built up over the years and carried all of that. But that's just my fault. And who knows, that's not the right way to approach it, but it seemed to work a little bit for us anyway. Well, you know, I, I interviewed another coach uh, quite a while back, Mike Williamson, and he said a very similar thing. He, he talked about the growth, you know, that he experienced during that time as a junior high coach, the things you learn and, and, uh, you know, so I've, I've heard that quite a bit from coaches as I've interviewed them. So it's interesting to hear you uh, echo that as well. Yeah, I think it's, and, and those coaches, I, we need to realize what it's like, you know, uh, in the trenches. And I think it's like, uh, you know, a lot of guys nowadays have been pampered so in athletics and, and they have received so many accolades and things and, and most guys coming out of college think they're ready to be an offensive coordinator and they're ready to be on a varsity staff and if they can't get a varsity job they're not going to coach and I think sometimes those are the kind of people I don't even want to interview. If they're willing to pay the price that it's going to take to get to that position then those are the kind of guys that I want to talk to and those are the kind of people that I want to interview. Now as you go along you're going to hire guys that that are already coordinators and already been through the ranks and already have done those kind of things. But I think we've gotten away from bringing coaches in and, and uh, putting them in the seventh and eighth grade and letting them really see what it's really like when you got to teach a kid which leg you put in first and, and uh, all the kind of things that goes on with seventh and eighth grade athletics and parents and things like that, you know. Yeah, definitely. So you, you take your first job there at, uh, at a junior high, and how long do you stay at that level? You know, when I came out of college, I took a job in Irving, Texas. I went to Crockett Junior High in Irving, and uh, I didn't 
didn't really care if it was a junior high, a fifth grade, a sixth grade. I just wanted to coach. And, and uh, I went to Crockett Junior High in Irving, and it was a feeder school to MacArthur High School in Irving. And I stayed in that junior high one year. And then uh, when MacArthur High School opened, uh, they took me to the high school. And I went to the high school back then as the offensive backfield coach and the uh, head baseball coach. And uh, I was coaching uh, baseball and football, and I was a head baseball coach, and, and back, you know, it wasn't an offensive coordinator or something like that. I was an offensive backfield coach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I stayed there six years, seven years at Irving MacArthur. Wow, okay. What, what did you teach while you were there? You know, I was a history primarily, and I taught world history and American history and and uh, really had a passion, I guess, for that. And, and I really felt like the more I was in that arena, you sort of, you know, I feel like coaches are sometimes our best teachers. And I think if we taught like we coached, it would be an impressive school because I think coaches that prepare and prepare for athletics and football. You know, if we prepared in the classroom like we prepare uh, on the athletic field, it's amazing probably what would happen. But uh, I really wanted good teachers as well as good coaches. And, and I think coaches in most schools sometimes are our best teachers. Yeah, definitely. I know many of the many of the best teachers I had were coaches as well. And, and, and you know, also, every kid is different in terms of who has the ability to reach them. I think a lot of the time, if you can relate to somebody better, uh, you've got a better chance of reaching them as a teacher or as a coach. Uh, and that's kind of the trick for the, for the teacher or coach, too, is to sometimes figure out how to relate to a kid that, that maybe you really don't have very much in common with. Right, exactly. You're right. What uh, what did you do uh, when you encountered maybe like difficult learners that that were a problem at all for you and uh, maybe maybe you felt like didn't really like your style or something? Did you ever have any of those? Are you talking about in the classroom? Uh, yes, sir. In the classroom or on the field. I mean, just you know, one of those kids that you saw a lot of potential in, but they're just not clicking with what you're doing. What was a strategy you might use to get to that kid? You know. I that all coaches use but you know uh, we've all had it on our playbooks and we all had it here at South Lake and it was always an inscription that every coach had and it was you know that kids don't really care how much you know until they really know how much you care and, and that was just a, a saying that we had and a lot of coaches have that but I think if kids really understand and really believe that you really care about them and you care about them for a lot of other reasons other than the fact they can run a 4-5 or a 4-4 and they can bench press X amount and they can do all those kind of things. And if you care about them as a person and, and you're really interested in their life and things like that, I think kids will open up to you. And sometimes if it's just when they come in that field house that they have a relationship with you, I think you have a, a, you're, you're going to have a tough time dealing with that kid when there are problems and things like that. But you've got to, 
it's not about them liking you, it's about them respecting you, and it's about the fact that uh, you've got to not try to make kids like you, but make kids respect you, and they respect you because they know that you truly care about them. Uh, I, I never had coaches like that. I never had coaches that truly cared, and, and, and they really were part of my life. And I always said if I ever got into this profession, I would make certain that uh, I was not like some of the coaches that uh, I'm thinking about while we're talking. Yes, sir. Coach, earlier on in the discussion, you mentioned that you were uh, head coach of which board? I was a head baseball coach at MacArthur High School. Okay. And I was very fortunate right out of college. I had the number one high school player in the United States in baseball that was drafted number one in baseball. And uh, my first year as a head coach, I think some of the kids that I coached were older than I was because I think I was 21 at MacArthur High School yeah. and uh, right out of college and uh, started the baseball program there at MacArthur and one thing led to another from that, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that was the first year of the program when you got there? It opened. It was a new high school here in mm -hmm. Irving, you know. Yeah. Or in Irving, that's where it came, you know, and then we left there and went to Vernon. Okay. Uh, and, and so what did you do there? You know, we left Irving not because of – Irving was a great place for us, and MacArthur was a great place. We had uh, Lori and we had Lane, and honestly, I'll just be very blunt with you, I didn't want my kids to grow up in a big 6A program. I wanted my kids to grow up in a smaller environment. I wanted them to grow up in a one high school town uh, that was always – what I felt like was, you know, where they should be and things like that. So we decided to go to Vernon, Texas, and it was a great move for us. And, um, you know, one high school after here, back then, I, you know, what were we, 3A at Vernon then, but 4A maybe, we were in there with Brownwood and Stephenville, and it was a great little league out there, and, and uh, great kids out there in part of West Texas, I guess you'd call it. Mm. And we got some great uh, experience out there. I went out there with a gentleman named Don Berry, who was at Ennis and went to Vernon. And, uh, you know, we had some great teams and had some great experiences. And it was at Vernon, Texas, after, what, three years, I guess, that I decided it was time for me to become a head football head coach. And I started looking at opportunities as uh, becoming a head football coach. Okay. So, uh, were you a coordinator there then at Vernon? I was a defensive coordinator, uh, you know, and I uh, ran all the defense and everything like that. And I applied for two head coaching jobs, one at Wiley, Texas, and one at Frisco, Texas. And I got the job at Frisco, Texas. I went to Frisco as a head coach, and that was my first uh, head coaching job. Uh, did you, uh, back at that time, did you interview with a big committee or did you just, uh, the superintendent hire you or how did that all work? Well, back then we, uh, I interviewed with the school board and the superintendent had done a little previous interview and then he brought three guys in as finalists that met the school board and the school board spent about an hour with them and then I my part and drove back to Vernon, got there about two in the morning and uh, got in bed and the phone rang and it was the superintendent and Frisco and the board had voted to 
offered me the job at Frisco, and um, that's how it all started. Nice. So when you uh, when you get there, um, wh what is it like taking over that program? Were were things pretty well in place? Uh, was there a lot of a lot of work to do to get things in the direction you wanted it to go, or how did it go for you? You know, Eric, I have no idea. I thought I was really something when I got that job, and then I found out I was. I think I was the only one that applied for the job. <laughs> and. Uh, we had one returning starter and uh, on that that was coming back. I didn't go into off season like we do now. You didn't uh, go watch the kids work out. Uh, I just wanted to be a head coach, you know. And, and I didn't even know what the mascot was. I didn't even know what the colors were really. Uh, I didn't know that much about them. I hadn't done a lot of research. Uh, I just knew it was head football athletic director. I knew they played football. Uh, you know, from that standpoint, but uh, we were in the district with the Salinas and the Pilot Points and the GA Moors and uh, so on and so on back then when we first took that job. And in Frisco, Texas, we had 280 kids in high school. We had one high school. Our first year as a head coach, we went 10 and 0. We won the district and uh, went three rounds in the playoffs. So I thought, you know, I was pretty good. This is this is really a pretty easy deal, and then I found out, you know, that it's really not a pretty easy deal, from a lot of other reasons, a lot of things, and so on from there. But uh, we had one kid that had played, or that was returning, and uh, hired a great coaching staff, and uh, we were able to uh, take those kids, and, and uh, I stayed there three years, and uh, then went on down the road a little bit. What causes you to uh, to leave Frisco? You know, we played South Lake Carroll back then. They were in our district one year, and, and I was always a little bit kind of infatuated, infatuated with South Lake Carroll kids. They were uh, they were big kids. They uh, you know they had great parents. They had great administration. The thing that impressed me about South Lake Carroll was that everywhere I went, the administration was there. If it was basketball, if it was a junior high track meet. It had, the principals were there, the superintendent was there, and, and I was always impressed with, uh, you know, their their kids, and even though they hadn't won that much, and, and uh, when that's, when this job came open, uh, and the superintendent called me, and uh, we visited, and, and he said, you know, Coach said, and, and the superintendent here then was a gentleman by the name of Jack Johnson, and Jack is a great, great, great superintendent, and he ran the school. And uh, I remember I asked Mr. Johnson, I said, Mr. Johnson, what procedure are you going to use to hire the head football coach here at South Lake Carroll? I said, are you going to bring in two or three and uh, then interview, let the board interview him or what? And he said, Coach Ledbetter, I want you to understand something. You're talking to the board, and this coach is going to be hired by the superintendent of the school. And this superintendent is going to run this school, and you're going to run the athletic program, and so on and so on and so on. And Mr. Johnson was exactly right. And it was a unique situation from that standpoint. And so I could see, and I wanted to be a part of this kind of program. It was kind of growing out here, and, and uh, academics was very important. It was a very great little school as far as the academics and things like that. So. Mm -hmm. 
we decided that I wanted Lauren Lane to grow up in a situation and soon to have an elementary teaching job in that kind of an environment. Yeah. It's interesting how, how well it can work, you know, if you've got a superintendent and athletic director that really know what they're doing and a board that has faith in them, huh? That's what it's all about. I mean, you know, if, you, if we're not all working together and all going the same direction, you got utter chaos. And, and amazingly, uh, Mr. Johnson had built, a, this school was built 25, 30 years ago. Success isn't because of what Bob Ledbetter did or Todd Dodge or something like that. And the foundation for this school and the philosophies were all built by the people that were in here back during those periods of time. The John Lowry, the Jack Johnson, the people that built the type of philosophies that were that are with us today, so to speak. We still operate like we're a 3A school. By that I mean our kids play all different sports. Our kids are involved in everything at the 6A level, and uh, the things that happen here are like you would see in 3A and 2A schools and things like that, and that's where you're successful. And the superintendents, uh, you know, now, is it gonna stay that way? Probably not, but that foundation has, has lasted for a long time. But you get a lot of new people moving in, and we've had a lot of new people move in here. And we had a lot of people that wanted two high schools here in Southlake. And that was another battle we had to fight. And we were able to maintain and keep one high school. And Southlake will always have one high school. We're pretty well built out. And if we'd have had two high schools, we'd be in a lot of trouble right now, financially and everything else. But uh, I always used to have to go to those co-curricular meetings and explain that when you develop a situation with two or three high schools, you develop mediocracy and you know where you don't have to have that and, and uh, where you can continue to have a great deal of success academically and athletically kids are going to be successful in life because when they walk across that stage and they're handed that diploma and they've been successful I don't care if it's in water polo or swimming or golf tennis bad whatever then they know they can be successful if they've been beat down and they've been you know, one and nine, and two and eight, three and seven, you know, they don't know. And I think when you create an environment of success, then that creates successful people that come through that program. And then we were able to do that and we will always maintain that philosophy. Yeah, you know, one of the conversations that, that I've had with, uh, you know, many people from Bernie over the years where, where I grew up uh, is when they built that second high school, just how much of the resources were divided. You know, you end up paying another uh, cafeteria staff, another custodial staff, another coaching right. staff. And I mean, you really divide a lot of resources. And and I think, you know, as, as you look at things around the state and, and places like Westlake and, and uh, South Lake Carroll and, and Lake Travis and, and Friendswood and some of those big districts that grew quite a bit, but you know, uh, were able to maintain that one high school. It's just a really neat uh, environment, you know, how much more unified those, those places are. That It's like really the way the, the Bernie I grew up in, it was so unified. And as I was on the board there from 06 to 09, that's right when that split occurred. You, 
you know, it's gonna it's gonna cause that division, you know, with with uh, people fighting over what resources there are, and really there ends up not being a lot of resources because you have so much that you have to pay for. You know, it's just a new challenge. Yeah, and the amount of expense and what transpired, but a lot of people, and we all want participation. We all want uh, two bands, two drill teams, two football teams, two basketball teams. But I don't want two teams if they're not going to be successful. If you're creating mediocrity, then you're creating more problems than what you've got. Number one, the financial. And now there, sometimes you can't help it. I mean, because of numbers. I mean, you got to have another high school. I mean, you've got 4,035 kids in high school. You're going to have to start looking at building, you know, another high school. But South Lake Carroll, now we're not the largest school in the district. We're probably about fourth as far as number of students. But we almost had two high schools here. I'm not saying you need to have a, a high school like Allen or a high school where you've got 7,000 students. I'm saying that when the numbers get so great, yeah, you, you don't have a choice. You've got to build. But don't go just start building high schools so you can have all the different types of teams and things like that. Kids are much better off in the long run for participating in, on teams that are successful than just participating on teams that get beat all the time. And to do that, maintaining one high school sets the stage, so to speak, for success, not only athletically, but academically, and the Lone Star Cup, and all the sports. Uh, we used to have a rule here at Southlake, or I had a rule, you can't make them, but I had a rule, you had to play two sports. I didn't want our kids specializing. I still don't want kids specializing. I think that our kids, I didn't want our football players just going straight football. I don't want our baseball players going straight baseball. You know, and, and I look at those years back there where we won the state championship in boys basketball and football. And in baseball, I say in baseball there one year, I know seven of those starters played football, and it's that way in a 3A school. And that's the thing about it. We won a state championship in boys basketball, and four starters all started on the football team. They didn't go to the gym till January after the Christmas holidays because they were in the football playoffs. Mm. And, and the thing about it was they weren't going to be any better because they were going one sport. I've watched our baseball teams over the years with kids that are playing all the other sports and, and, and looking at sports that have really gone down a little bit fundamentally just because kids play so much if they specialize with club and select and all that stuff like that, which, which you know, I'm a proponent of getting on a soapbox and talking about all those things, but <laughs> I think it has hurt athletics probably bigger. But it's about parents. It's about, it's for the parents. It's for the kids getting scholarships and, and things like that. And I think what they've done is they've, taking kids and they're using kids to enhance their own desires and things like this. And we have a lot of problems right now with club and select and all those things like that. Kids are pushed into those arenas and uh, it's hurting. It's hurting kids a great deal. They're not better baseball players for going straight baseball. They're not better basketball players for going straight basketball and so on and so on. A very small percentage of these kids will ever play in college, and that's the thing about it is that it's amazing how much some 
parents are forced to pay for their kids to be involved in club and select and things like that. Uh, but that's, you know, that's the way it is. Yeah, I know club volleyball is one of those that has really, really grown uh, throughout the years, and, and it becomes a lot harder to get girls to uh, run track because so many of them are playing volleyball all spring. Well, you know, track is a big part of off season, and, and, and track was our off season here in Southlake. I mean, everybody ran track. You didn't have a choice. That was just part of off season. And if you were in junior high, everybody ran track. And, uh, you know, the crazy thing is, Eric, is that uh, it's just the fact that we track was part of off season. And, and the thing that I always felt like was that everybody was going to, all of our skilled people were going to run the hurdles, and, and uh, everybody was going to have it. But we didn't work out but 42 minutes for track. And then they kids that were baseballers and go to baseball and so on like that. People have got to work together in all those sports. Volleyball and basketball have got to work together. Track and baseball and all that kind of stuff like that have got to work. You know, and I tell you, tell our coaches and our kids, you know, I have to go in the weight room here at 6 o'clock and run kids out of the weight room because kids are going to stand in front of the mirror and press weights. But I've never had to go tell a kid to quit running quarters on the track. And I have never had to go tell a kid to get off the track and go home. But I have to do that in the weight room. So we're going to provide them with the opportunity to participate in track under a supervised situation and so on and so on. And consequently, that added a great deal to our program. And we still do that. And you can't do that uh, in a lot of places from that standpoint. But I think track is the greatest thing where you can really find out a lot about kids and, and all that kind of stuff like that. And it's amazing uh, once kids get out there and they realize, you know, because they're competing with themselves. Frisco, did you go right to South Lake? You know what? When I when I left Frisco, I had an opportunity, and I had been we'd had some success there at Frisco, and and uh, I was kind of I was right in a point in my career where I really didn't know. You know, we had been in the playoffs I think every year there, and blah blah, and I I didn't know if I wanted to go. In. I knew I wanted. To, I didn't think I wanted to be getting into administration, but yet still I was offered an opportunity to go into administration as an assistant principal, but still be the defensive coordinator at Mineral Wells with Bill Froman. And it would give me the opportunity to see if I wanted to follow that path and go into, you know, become a principal and superintendent and so on like that, or if I wanted to stay in coaching. and. So Bill had set it up to where I could come in and just be the defensive coordinator and be assistant principal, teach no classes, uh, like, you know, and that type of thing. So 
to answer your question, I, Sue and I took that opportunity and went to Mineral Wells, and I think we stayed two years. And South Lake Carroll, when it came open, then that's when Jack Johnson called me and and uh, had known me because we'd been in the district with him and so on and so on like that. And then that's when I decided this is uh, was a situation that I wanted to really pursue. And so in a coaching realm and as an athletic director. So we came to South Lake Carroll. Uh, you know, under those circumstances, we were a, a 2A school here at South Lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we had, uh, I don't remember, but we knew we were going to grow. And so you can't, you've got to come into a 2A program knowing you're going to 3A. And knowing that in 19, whatever it was, 80, that we would probably go three. Well, you got to have a 3A program when you go into 3A, and that's number of coaches, that's facilities. So we started planning five years out that we were going to have a 3A program. And we played nobody but 3A schools in non-district uh, in football and a lot of our other sports. And we built up to where when we went 3A our first year, I don't remember, we were 16-0, and 0, won a state championship. When we knew we were going to go 4A, we had a perfect season the first year in 4A because of the fact we had a 4A program when we went 4A. We didn't go 4A with a 3A program. And back then, we didn't have a signal. It was 5A. And when we knew we were going to go 5A, and I, I, you know, my point is in all of this is that a lot of people will look up and say, oh, my gosh, we're going to go up on alignment. Well, you better have already made plans for that. <laughs> and you better have already laid out the groundwork as far as not just anything but facilities and coaching and numbers and all those things like that and that was really important that uh, you know we had done that Um, it kind of sounds like what you're saying is those that get ahead look ahead (laughs) yeah i mean you got to play good people i mean you gotta if you're 104 and two that's not as impressive if you've been playing nobody that can you know nobody worth a flip because you're fixing to move up a classification and so you better have been getting prepared in all sports in that arena. And, and I think we did a good job. And the administration and the school board uh, went along with everything we were trying to do athletically. And that was very simply give our kids a chance to be successful when we went up. And uh, we were able to do that. When you come in, I guess, what are uh, how many different sports do y'all have versus by the time you're done there at South Lake Carroll? Talk about, I guess, maybe the growth in terms of adding sports because a lot of the times you're a 2A program or you're a 3A program or, you know, whichever classification, one of the biggest growing pains is is that want to add a sport as you're getting ready to move up and now you've got that spread of athletes. And I know you said y'all shared, but, um, you know, what advice do you have, I guess, in those situations and what experiences maybe that you could share? You know, we... When we look at all the sports and say having the same number of sports for boys and the same number of sports for girls as far as equalization and you don't want Title IX issues and and things like that. And we didn't, when I first came here, of course, we did not play soccer. Uh, We didn't, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think we started volleyball when I came in here. We had the girls basketball program. Uh, South Lake Carroll had won a state championship in girls basketball. And, uh, you know, we started a volleyball, girls volleyball program. And, but the thing about it was, was that we started a soccer program 
and uh, several years, a couple of years after I was here, but I didn't want a football coach coaching soccer, so to speak, and, and I wanted a soccer coach coaching soccer that knew, you know, the soccer, but in this environment around here, you know, soccer was, uh, a lot of these kids were playing on, you know, different soccer teams and things like that, so you couldn't put your old line coach out there and then be able to tell me if you were starting a soccer program. <laughs> so, so we went out and we, we hired some good soccer people and consequently South Lake has won many, many state championships in girls and boys soccer over the years. And the same guys are still here. Same people have come through that program that we started a long time ago. We also started a swimming program and as this community uh, evolved into the type of people we built a natatorium and uh, we started diving programs and swimming programs and they've won many of those uh, state championships and swimming and everything from programs that were started like that. Uh, cross country is another situation that we started and uh, our boys and girls cross country teams have won, I don't, I don't know the number of state championships, but many. It's bringing good coaches in here, good, not just assigning somebody to take this sport this year. And I think that's where we sometimes make mistakes because we're penalizing kids. If you're going to have a program, then have the best possible program you can have. Don't just start a program to say, we're, we're going to have this sport. Bring in a great coach. Bring in a program with great facility and set your expectations we're never going to settle for second place. I mean, nobody wants to be second and build the spot, build it in people's minds that finishing second is not good enough. And, and, and I know that I can name, it's just a situation where nobody remembers a second. And you make certain that your kids understand that and your coaches and it's all like that. And, and uh, I remember I hired a young man as a soccer coach, and I remember he was 0-4 or 0-something like that. A great young coach and, and really going to do well and so on. And I remember I was driving out of the field house, and I called him over there to the truck. And I said, hey, how's it going, man? And he said, coach, it's, it's going okay. So I said, right now, what are we, 0-4? And he said, yes, sir. I said, we better not be 0-5. I said, just make certain that uh, this program understands the fact that we don't go like that here in South Lake. And consequently, that young man is still here, and I think he's won four girls state championships or three, uh, I don't remember, in soccer. But if you don't have expectations and, and your kids don't, uh, you're never, never going to reach the epitome. You're never going to get to where you want to be. Yeah. And sometimes that's hard, and sometimes it's hard for people to understand that. But uh, in every sport, I'm not just talking about football. And we all know that football is what sets the precedence for the entire year. And, uh, you know, your football program is going to set what your attitudes are going to be that rest of that year and things like that. So uh, that's part of it. Yeah. And I know in junior high, uh, I never liked having B teams and C teams and all of that. I, want, I didn't want to tell a kid he was a B teamer or a C teamer. And so we would never divide our kids into A team, B team, or C team. Everybody else did in the district. 
and we would lose every junior high game just about in football. But none of those kids would quit football. I wanted every kid to play as an eighth grader that came out as a seventh grader. Then I wanted all those freshman kids to play football when they became freshmen in high school. Everybody had a starting position, whether special teams, offense, defense, or so on. But we didn't label kids by saying you're on the C team or the B team. You're on the green team or the red team or the orange team. Uh, did you did and, you ever uh, face any man. any parent backlash over not you know trying to win at some of those earlier stages? You always do, Eric, and, and there was a lot of the, and I understood, and I was and I understood because I could see, I understood their side of it, and those parents that coached youth league football, which was bigger in Southlake than most places, and and those kids in youth football and all of that. I mean, they would go play in the Super Bowl and they would play it. You know, all those places like that. But we'd go play the game holes and whoever it might be and get beat 38 to nothing, okay? But, you know, I can go back and look and I can show you where that those kids in that 7th grade, that 8th grade, they won two football games, but they won 32 straight football games in high school. And every one of those kids played football in high school because we didn't label them. And, and some of those C-teamers became college football players when they got into high school. And if you label a kid, then he thinks that's what he is. You can't do that. Yeah. What when when they would get up to the varsity level after years of, of you know, having that playing time, having that starting position and everything would you find yourself as the athletic director, head coach, in a lot of uh, you know parent meetings because maybe now all of a sudden you know my kids always played and now on the varsity level they're not playing? Would you do you feel like you found yourself in a lot of meetings over that? You know, Eric, I learned a long time ago that you're going to be in a lot of meetings, but if you're not running a program and, and if our decisions, what we're doing is what we think is best for kids. We're not doing what we think is best for your child or your child. We're doing what we think is best for the entire program. And, and the decisions that we're making are based on teams, not based on individuals. And I can remember we had a kid way back there, and he's a young man that was a quarterback. Uh, he was a little bitty kid, and just a a kid that, you know, he, he was not a – I would never put him on a C team or anything like that, but he got beaten in every junior high football game. And he played third-team quarterback, so on and so on, in junior high. His freshman year, uh, I remember coming up to the high school. Coming up to the high school, he decided, you know, his, we took a quick break right there. Uh, Coach, you were talking about um, junior high and, and player development and all that. Will you go ahead and go into what you were saying on that again? And I can go back, and I was, I was just thinking about a kid that, uh, you know, he never started for us in junior high. He never played on the starting team as a seventh grader, eighth grader. Freshman year, we were putting quarterbacks up on the board, and, and, and he, he was about the third or fourth team quarterback. And uh, I brought him in my office, and uh, I said, you know, Will, uh, you'll never play quarterback for us. I want to move you to receiver. And I remember he looked at me and he said, you know, Coach, I, I won't play quarterback for Carroll. I said, you'll never do that. And I made him, and you don't tell a kid that. For some reason, though, I looked at him and I said, you know what, I can move you to receiver, and I think your junior year you got a chance to play. And uh, he said, Coach, I want to be a quarterback. I said, you're not going to be a quarterback. I said, your chances are slim and none. 
and uh, I remember we talked there for a little bit, and he kind of got up out of my out of his seat there in my office, and I, and he looked at me and he said, Coach, I'll take Slim. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, Get out of here, go on. I said, I've already told you right now, and, and you know I can go back and look at that, but going into his freshman year, you know. He, he might have taken, he was a third or fourth team quarterback on the freshman team. But going into his sophomore year, uh, didn't play much either. As a JV, about the fourth backup quarterback. But here, here's the point I'm making. We could have, that kid, I mean, we, the coach, we could have given up on him or he could have went on. But we went through two of those. And on that year, I announced our board. We had two start. We had a starting quarterback coming back. But that young man, his junior year, I announced to the football team in August after two days that he would be our starting quarterback that year. That young man never lost a high school football game in two years. He was 32 and all. He won two state championships. He weighed 147 pounds. He was, Dave Campbell came to our athletic banquet and presented him the trophy for the outstanding football player in the state of Texas. And, and what was now, it? That's the kind of kid, you know, but there's a lot of kids like that. Right. And that's what coaching's all about. And, and uh, our, the thing that's amazing is the fact that, you know, when I brought in the seniors that year to see what they wanted to do and go to school and, you know, and help them scholarship-wise or walk on or whatever it was. And, you know, and I sat there in the office with him and, you know, and I hugged him and told him I loved him and we were talking and, you know, and, and I said, you know, I don't even want to name him, give you his name, but as I looked, I said, you know, we can, you can walk on, we, you know, at Abilene Christian or whatever you want to do. I said, I've got several coaches, you know, you can run punch back special team. He looked at me and he said, Coach, what I wanted to do was play quarterback for the Carroll Dragons. And he said, I don't, I'm not going to college. I'm not going to play football. I've accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. And we sat there and talked. And I remember he got up again, and as he started out the door, he kind of turned, he grinned, and he said, Coach, slim and none, huh? <laughs> and I had to think a minute to even remember, and I said, come here. And he comes back in the office, and, and you know, that was it. <laughs> but there's a lot of stories uh, like that. And we could have given up, and he could have given up. And so today, he's very successful financially, has a tremendous business, has done very, very well, and got a son playing, and uh, so on and so on. Tail Lights Podcast listeners, unfortunately, we're going to have to cut it off there for tonight, but we will be back tomorrow, probably by noon with the conclusion of my interview with Coach Bob Ledbetter. So please tune in again. If you find yourself enjoying the Taillights Podcast, do me a big favor. Go on to Apple Podcasts and rate it five stars. I really appreciate it.